Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is Tom Shapiro. Tom is the CEO of Stratabeat, which is a B2B marketing agency focused on organic growth. Services include SEO, content strategy, content development, and web design. Throughout his career, Tom's clients have included some pretty big names, including GE, AT&T, Hewlett-Packard, United Healthcare, and Procter & Gamble. And previously, Tom was a director of digital strategy at iProspect. So during his five years at the agency, the number of employees grew from 85 to more than 700. Tom is also the author of the book, Rethink Lead Generation, Advanced Strategies to Generate More Leads for Your Business. And also, fun fact, Tom spent six years living in Japan and says he loves eating eel and octopus. Let's find out more about that and more right now. Okay. Well, welcome, Tom. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. I think this is going to be- Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's going to be great. So I- Noticed in your bio that you lived in Japan for six years. Yes. Now, I have so many questions. My mother's Japanese. So, and I've never even been to Japan, which I'm always, my friends who have been to Japan always say, how can you not have been there? I just, I don't know. I just never have. So what brought you to Japan? And, and do you speak fluent Japanese? <laughs> what brought me to Japan was I was a student at the time. I was in college okay. and I was studying Japanese. I was an East Asian studies major and so I spent my entire junior year living with the Japanese family, going to a Japanese university, you know, and spent the entire year, even after the school year, I spent the, the following summer in Japan and loved it so much that as soon as I graduated from college in the US, I went right back and spent another five years in Japan. And so I just, I, I've always loved it. I'm no longer fluent. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been in Japan and my uh, my Japanese is very rusty, but I worked at Panasonic and my job was was in Japanese. I, that, that's how I conversed every single day. Wow. That's so interesting because my mom, my, my father was in the Air Force, so he's Italian. He met my mom in Japan and then they came here. Um, and so I've never been to Japan. Um, she was pregnant with me when they came here. They got married in Japan, so I was sort of made in Japan, I guess. But <laughs> that's what I always say. But uh, my mom, uh, she's passed away, but she said that she forgot all of her Japanese after a few years of being here. I think you have to really keep it up. It sounds like yeah, yeah. You you do you do. I I I lost it a while ago, and every time that we we go back to visit, it slowly comes back. But but I'll stress slowly. <laughs> there's a guy on TikTok who teaches Japanese. Like he'll have like one or two words. Actually, there's a woman and a, and a man. There's a couple of people that do that. And they do that with different languages, which is sort of fun. But yeah, so I wanted to jump into a few things, all content and related to topics in your book, The Rethink Lead Generation. But let's start with you, you talk about how you helped a client increase organic traffic by more than 7,000%. So can you put numbers behind that too? Like what, because 7,000 is percentage wise is kind of hard to imagine. So can you talk about that and about how that came about? So uh, it was very interesting because 
We drove a lot of organic traffic through blogging and writing and creating lead magnets. We, we created 160 pages worth of lead magnets. Uh, we were blogging about 12 to 15,000 words of, of content every single month. Uh, and wow. so it's a lot of content that we were developing. However, before we wrote a single word for them, we did something that, that might be a little counterintuitive to a lot of marketers and to a lot of copywriters. So before blogging, before writing, we worked with them on a brand strategy. Because what we noticed was, you know, we were asking them a lot of questions about their audience, about their brand, about who they were, who their ideal customer profile was, all of that. And we realized that their website was misaligned with the audience. And so we pointed this out to them and said, look, please, before we start creating content for you, allow us to guide you through a complete website redesign. And so we spent the next few months completely overhauling their website, overhauling the brand, creating a brand strategy, creating a, a brand deck and a brand stack, and really focusing on the brand, making sure that the brand was as powerful as possible. Because with content and with SEO, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? And so we needed that brand to be the tide that was uplifted. And once we had a really strong brand with a message that, that really resonated very powerfully, then it was, it was so much easier for us to drive, as you said, over 7,000%. It was 7,235.7% organic traffic growth. So you know, you're talking about tens and tens and tens of thousands of visits a month incrementally beyond what they had originally. Well, what's interesting to me is how you said, you know, you said to them, hey, your messaging isn't aligned. Now, as a copywriter, I see that with clients who come to me and I get pushback a lot of times. Did you get pushback or do you tend to? Because a lot of times companies are like, oh, no, we know our audience. We don't need that big part. Do you get that? And did you get it with this situation? We, we did not get it with this situation. This is a really great company. We, we, we saw eye to eye with them. They understood exactly what we were saying. You know, it wasn't our opinion. Like we backed it up. We, we really pointed out to them the mistakes that they were making in their, in their website. We pointed out to them. So, so originally they had been targeting startups and that whole startup ecosystem, venture capitalists, and they wanted to shift over to targeting the Fortune 500. And so we were pointing out to them that, that you couldn't use the existing website to target the Fortune 500. The Fortune 500 wouldn't respond well. They wouldn't convert on the site. They wouldn't feel like they were in the right place. So that made sense to them once you said and that. Once we pointed it out to them, once we walked them through the customer journey of a Fortune 500 buyer, which is very different than, say, a startup, right. then they, they immediately got it. They, it was an aha moment for them. Yeah, well, it's good that they were open to that. At least, you know, they listened to you. So they must have obviously respected your opinion. Also, you pointed out, like you said, what, you know, what you could back up. Did a lot of it involve like the analytics? Because you and I talked previously about like how people get their analytics and don't know what to do with them. Is that something too that is that you use a lot to kind of like, did you use it in that case? So we oftentimes will use IP detection and behavioral analytics to see exactly who, which, which companies are on a client's website. And we can check that every single morning for strategy, for our own agency. I personally check that every single morning. I want to see over the past 24 hours, which companies have been on our website and what exactly are they looking at? What are they doing? Uh, and how much time are they spending on each topic? 
And then we will conduct outreach to those companies. So it's very timely, right? And so with clients, we we work with them to get the IP detection set up and to get them into a cadence of reviewing and conducting the outreach. In addition to IP detection, what we also love to do is engage in behavioral intelligence. And so what that is, is not only knowing who's on your website, but then exactly what is their experience on the website. Yeah. Google Analytics, Adobe Analytics, you know, you know, really doesn't give you that level of insight. It will tell you where they came from, how long they're on the page, the navigational path, things like that. But that doesn't tell you whether the experience is good or not. It, they might be having a really bad experience. It might be full of friction. And so what we want to do is, one, look at things like heat mapping and click mapping and attention mapping and scroll mapping to see exactly what they're seeing as they're visiting the site, as they're going through their journey in the site. And then the other thing is we'll look at video recording. So we record every visit to the Stratoby website. Uh, we do this with our clients as well, where we're visiting their visitors to the website, where we can see everything that's happening on their site visitors' screens. Mm -hmm. So we can see if even through heat mapping or click mapping or scroll mapping, you, you can't detect a problem but in the videos, you can see the frustration. You can see the circular motion of their behavior, or you can see, you know, the rage clicking, for example. Now, I was going to ask you, because I just recently heard that phrase. I'm like, I never heard of that rage clicking. Like people are raging on a website. How do you, what do you see? Like you said, circular clicking, would they just keep going back? Like what is happening usually, or what would be an example? Right. If they're confused. And so you might see them jump down a page to, to recheck something, but then they check back up and then they check back down and they keep bouncing between okay. these two spots to try and reconcile uh, just confusion that they have. Or another example, this is really interesting uh, with a wizard or a site that, that we were managing in, in just the, the heat mapping and the click mapping and scroll mapping, we couldn't detect any problems at all. In Google Analytics, we couldn't detect any problems because people were going through this wizard it was like a, like a, I don't know, like a nine step wizard and people were using it and that was fine. But then when we saw the video recordings, we noticed a major problem as part of filling out the wizard, going through the entire process. One of the requests is that you enter a date and we set up, um, we configured uh, a widget that where all you have to do is, is click to, to set the date instead of manually entering the date. We thought that would be so much easier, so much better. And a lot of people didn't think so. <laughs> a lot of actual users to the site wanted to manually enter the date and ignore all the automation that we had set up. And we hadn't thought of that. And so it was really interesting to us. The video recording brought it to light. And so we immediately jumped into the code and we allowed them to do it any way they wanted. If they wanted to use our automation features, they could, but if they wanted to enter the date manually in any format that they wanted, they could. We, we adjusted it. And then we saw the conversion rate for the wizard go way up. And so that was an example where just having the behavioral intelligence made a world of difference. What in the world? I mean, out of all things, I could see with other examples, but the date, that must have surprised you. What, what would be the, the difference? Like, why would somebody care? Uh, it's it's just behavior and and habit, and I think they might be so used to manually entering the date they didn't realize that they could use the calendaring feature that we had just okay. to click a few times, boom, and it's all done for you. And so it could be out of habit. It could be because they've just been on two other websites where they did have to manually enter you. We don't know exactly, 
But yeah. what we do know is their behavior and their behavior speaks loud and clear. It's just like with with a cursor. So we we think the the way our, our cursor moves, right? And so if your cursor is, is starting to, to lean in, it's because we are as a behavior, we are leaning in, right? And if your cursor goes off the, the browser window, it means that that we're not paying attention to what's on the screen. So that you know, looking at the cursor direction and movement and patterns can really reveal a lot of behavioral, you know, underlying behavioral tendencies. And so you have to extract those insights and interpret them as to what they mean. So for example, if the cursor is going outside of the browser window, then they're they're really not paying attention to what's on the screen. And so even though you're seeing a page view, even though, yes, on on attention mapping, they might, you know, the analytics might say that they were paying attention to this part of the the screen, they weren't. And the only way to reveal that is through the video recordings. Um, Another thing that's very interesting is to see, like, sometimes... Uh, well, what, one example. So we were helping an event organizer, right? An event management company. And we were looking at their event website, one of their event websites. And on one of the pages, you could see we had CTAs all the way down the page and people would click some of the CTAs. But down at the very, very bottom of this long form page, there was an option where, you know, if you needed to convince your boss why it was so important to fund your visit to this this event and pay for your ticket and pay for your flight, pay for your hotel. They had a pre-written letter that you could download. And what was really interesting was we noticed that that drove the most clicks on the page, even though if you look at the scroll mapping, only about 30% of the people who came to that page ever saw it. And so we pointed this out to the event organizers and we said, you have to move this all the way to the top of the page. We need 90, 100% of the people who got on the page to see this because this is hot. This is what they want. This is what they can use. And only 30% are seeing it right now. So what happened? Did they move it up and did you see a big jump? Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes clients will decide not to make changes for whatever reason, you know, sometimes it's out of laziness. Sometimes it's just because they have too many priorities and, and they don't know what to prioritize. But in this case, yeah, you know, we did see an increase. That's so interesting. Did you ever hear that Betty Crocker story about the cake mix? This is way way back when. I forget. I guess it was the 50s. Maybe it was even earlier. Betty Crocker came out with a cake mix where it was just all the dry ingredients. All you have to do is add water. Mm. And they could not sell. They thought this would be the greatest thing ever. And at the time, you know, most women were not working outside the home and they were, they took pride in being a homemaker. And so they, I forget how they discovered it. They did some kind of surveys and they found that if they removed the dried egg and said, the mix, put the mix, add one egg and oil or whatever, the water. And the the sales went like through the roof because they said they wanted, the housewives wanted to have a hand in making the cake. And they felt like if they just added water, they weren't really doing anything. But now they had to add an egg. So actually by taking something out, they were able to increase sales and have the consumer feel like they were part of the process. And I just thought that was so interesting because, you know, it's just that whole behavioral science aspect of it. That's so interesting to me. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, That's an amazing story. Yeah. And I forget all the details of it. It's, it's in a behavior. I read a lot of behavioral science books because I just find it so fascinating. But it was, it's, if you look up like Betty Crocker, like egg mix or something, you'll, you'll find it. But um, yeah. And you talk about also in your book, 
you talk about the value of the creativity. So this is kind of where this may even come in. How did the creativity, you probably already hit on, on some of these points, play a role in that increase in that traffic to that 7,000 so, so going back to our, our client where we helped them increase traffic by organic traffic by over 7,000%. So it wasn't just writing content, right? Like anyone can just write content. But what we really wanted to do was make it dynamic, make it special, make it captivating, right? And that takes some creativity. And so what we tried to lean on a lot was a lot of storytelling. Like we went very, very, very heavy on storytelling. We went very, very heavy on examples, like real life examples, not just theoretically talking about what the reader should do, but then showing what actual companies were doing and yeah. showing screenshots of their websites or their advertising or their marketing. And, and so we went very heavy on real life examples, stories, things that are tangible, statistics. And, and for that particular client, that that type of creativity really helped a lot, not only in terms of driving organic traffic, but also getting people talking about their content. They had people writing to them saying, oh my God, you're before I go to Google, I go to your website. It's just so much fun. It's so amazing. It's so in-depth. And you provide so many great examples. I just love it. It's the, it's the real deal. And that makes it all worthwhile. Right. What a great compliment. Yeah, before I go to Google, I mean, yes. <laughs> like, that's awesome. And so and that actually leads me to one of the things that um, you talk about in your book, which I'd never hear, heard of, which relates to this, is the mere exposure effect. I never heard of this. Just because people see something a lot, they tend to like it more. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's really crazy. But there was a study done at, uh, I think it was Oregon State University, where some neuroscience put this, this experiment together. And uh, they had a person come into one of the classrooms, uh, just covered in this very large black covering that covered their almost their whole body. You could see their bare feet, right? And that's that was it. And they came into the classroom very peacefully, went in the back of the class and sat down and didn't say anything. And it freaked everyone out. <laughs> you can imagine being in the class, being a student, being the professor and not knowing what the heck is going on. Yeah. And so um, the next class came and the same person came, dressed the same way and sat in the back of the class silently, didn't say a word the entire time. <laughs> they must have done Sasquatch and suddenly joined the class. <laughs> and so at first the students were really angry and upset about the presence of this person. And, um, you know, they, they didn't think it was fair. They didn't understand. And, and just in, the, the emotion that was expressed was anger, right? And frustration. Over time, they stopped being angry. And they started just understanding that that, that person was part of the class. And so they, they started just, just feeling ambivalent towards the, uh -huh. the person. And then as more classes went by, what was interesting was they started feeling very fondly about this person and they feel they started feeling emotional connections with this with this person even though the person still hadn't said anything was in the back of the class and by the end of the semester like they were they were telling other other students about uh, this person and they, they felt like like the person was kind of their friend kind of you know because they're in the same class and they're going oh, through this experience it. together so that what the neuroscientist was trying to point out was the mere exposure effect which is the more that we are exposed to something the more comfortable we feel with it and over time, that translates into a change in our chemistry inside our body, where we actually start to feel a connection with that thing that we are exposed to. 
whether it is a person, whether it's a marketing message, whatever it is. And so simply by having more exposures in the customer journey, you can you can really impact your marketing results quite heavily. Is that like when people are kidnapped? What do they call that effect? The uh, Oh, the, is that the Stockholm syndrome? Stockholm syndrome. I, it's a weird analogy, but I mean, it, you know, these are people who are captured by someone and they're, you know, they just adjust. Um, yeah. It's kind of a, a weird thing, but that is so interesting. So when, when you talk about content, so in this regards, if you just consistently put out content, because what I'm thinking when I was reading this and it's like, well, they always talk about like on LinkedIn, like I'm on there pretty much every day putting content out there. So does it work the same way, whether it's on a post or something, just people are familiar with you? Absolutely. And LinkedIn is a great example. So if you're going to be posting on LinkedIn, yeah, do it every week. I mean, if you can do it every day or, or every other day, but the more frequently that you are posting for the people who do see your posts, uh, you are they, they are going to feel an affinity towards you uh, just naturally over time. And the more and more you put, even if they've never spoken with you, even if they, they, they've never even seen any work that you've done, they will gain more and more confidence that you can do an excellent job for them. They will gain more and more confidence that, that, that you would make a great partner. It's, it's really phenomenal. The mere exposure effect is very powerful. I had never heard of that. And that makes total sense. Because I find that even with people I don't know on LinkedIn, there's a lot of people that I always comment on their posts just because they're funny or because they're interesting, or they just provide a lot of value, but I've never spoken to them, but I I just think I would like them. So that's kind of, it goes along with the same way. Yeah, it, it is part of the mere exposure effect. It's very powerful. Wow. Okay, that's, today I learned. I was today years old when I learned about the mere exposure, <laughs> as they say on Reddit. So what, as far as a copywriter, so as a copywriter, how can I improve my content performance? Because content, I see content as different than copy. I mean, there's interconnections, but like my my writing is all about helping a company attract more leads and make more sales. So how does that work with what we're all talking about here? How can I improve my copy? Yeah, so we're an agency and we work with a lot of different copywriters and work with a lot of different copywriters through the years. Our advice to copywriters is to, to try and think like a CMO. When you have an assignment, instead of thinking like a writer, think like a CMO and attack the project as if you were the CMO. You know, and that means you, you know you need as as many audience insights and as deep uh, of audience insights as possible. Um, and so that means you know interviewing the right people, whether it's SMEs or KOLs or whoever it might happen to be. It means doing your research, not only online content research but SEO research. It might be uh, audience research, whatever. Whatever research you can find, you know that maybe the company has done surveys in the past, uh, market research surveys, and so you want to get your hands on those. But you want to go deep on the audience insights. The more that you understand the audience and their pain points and what keeps them up at night, Sunday nights. We love using this this as as kind of a filter. What keeps them up on Sunday nights? What gives them that pit in their their stomach on Sunday nights before they head into the week? Right? What are they What are they nervous about? What are they frustrated about? What are they concerned about? And because it's not just about writing well and being a good writer. It's about resonating very deeply and driving people to action. Right. And so if you can tie together audience insights with 
where the company helps people the most or helps other organizations the most, it can be very powerful. And so we always try and partner with our copywriters in terms of not just writing fantastic copy and you know having con- uh, copy that, that's very well written, but we want it to be very powerful. We always want it to be powerful in serving a purpose. Ultimately, you're going to have a portfolio of content, right? Some of it's going to be blog posts. Some of it's going to be white papers or, or uh, could be, I mean, even email marketing is, is a type of copy, infographics or videos or podcasting, reports, uh, sales support, on and on. And so what we want to do is just make sure that no matter where we are in that content portfolio, thinking of it just like an investment portfolio, how can that piece of the portfolio perform very high? So we want high performance copy. It's so interesting. And, and what you said about research is so true, especially um, in the way that I've been trained. It's like 80% of what I do is research. Mm-hmm. And it's I immerse myself in, like, I don't take on a lot of clients because of this, because I, I have a bit of an obsessive personality, which works for my clients because I'll be thinking constantly. Like there have been times when my husband will say to me, you know, you work like all the time. And I'll say, no, I don't. He goes, I can see you thinking about your project. Like he <laughs> sees it, you know? And it's just because I will sometimes wake up with ideas. It's like, oh, I have to, you know, but it's because I've talked to people and I've researched it and I've immersed myself in the world. I'm in Reddit. I do. And what are people saying about this product or this service? And you have to do that to get that emotion like if you just do the surface, you know, the demographics, you know, they're, you know, this age and they're this income, it's just not the same. And that's the, also the difference between, I hate to bring up chat GPT, but kind of the elephant in the room in every conversation I've been having lately is like, well, what about that? I'm not worried about it because I know that that robot can't do that, can't do what I'm doing because you have to understand people, like all the things we talked about, you know, just being able to anticipate behavior and kind of you know, seeing how people would react to the words that I'm actually creating. And that's, that's a way at the end of all this research, it just takes some, it takes time, you know, and that's the whole thing. Yeah. So where do you see B2B content going in the future? Well, I, I, if I can piggyback off of what you were saying about ChatGPT, you know, it's, it has to go beyond like content will go beyond. It needs to be very high quality. It needs to be engaging. It needs to add value and it needs to add unique value. And I think that's, that's partly what's missing today is there are too many companies that are producing content and it's it's okay content, but it's not unique, right? right? It's not adding that, that extra value. And I think in the future, if you want to win at content, you're going to need to provide that unique value. Is it more work? Absolutely it is. Does it take more time? Absolutely. Does it take more thought? Absolutely it does. But here's a question that I ask our clients and I, and, and I ask prospects all the time. I say, how much time do you dedicate in one quarter to marketing innovation? How much time do you spend brainstorming? And usually they think and they say, well, maybe 1% of our time, maybe less, maybe no time at all. Is often, you know, there are a lot of companies out there, a lot of prospects that we meet, a lot of people I meet at, at uh, events. And if I ask them this, that, that's a common answer. Not always, but, but it's a common answer. And if you are not spending time on innovation, new ideas, uniqueness, right? And you're not driving your business forward, but you're just, you're busy. You're busy and you might have a fantastic company. You might have fantastic products and services. I'm not discrediting that. But what I'm saying is if you're not thinking ahead and if you're not introducing something new, including in your content that you're developing, 
and you're not pushing your audience forward with that un- with unique views, then you know it's going to be very difficult to compete in the future. I think that Google is becoming more and more sophisticated. It will understand AI-generated content more and more, and it will understand the difference between really powerful, unique insights versus regurgitation of something that's been out there. And then, oh, another AI generator you know, will then regurgitate that. And then another AI generator will regurgitate that. There's a lot of regurgitation that's going on right now with AI-generated content. We're 100% opposed to that. I, you know, we just don't see how that adds value to the audience. And it certainly is not strategic yeah. from a marketing perspective. And then you have all the people who are suddenly experts. I mean, ChatGPT has been around, you know, for how long, right? What always cracks me up is, because I've played around with it because, you know, they say that if you, you can use it as a tool, I use it like Google. I mean, it gets basic info. I've started using it for recipes. Like, hey, what's it, you know, <laughs> it actually is pretty good at some basic recipes. But to actually get, I've never been happy with anything I've seen. So I, that's why I'm not worried because I would never write what they come up with. It's just yeah. Like- and we, we use a lot of tools. We love technology. We're data nerds here. And, um, and so we use a lot of different tools. We just see it as another tool. It right. helps us with, you know, become more efficient at certain tasks, but it certainly doesn't replace the entirety of the process. Uh, it doesn't replace writing itself. And it certainly doesn't provide the insights that we need in order to deliver very powerful results for clients. Yeah. What always cracks me up is if I get on chat GPT and it asks me if I'm a robot, I want to say, well, you're a robot. Why do I have to tell you that? What? Hey, you know, they're like turning the tables on you. So I think that's funny. Well, this has been awesome, Tom. I really appreciate you spending time. So where can people find you and find out more about what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, They can find me at our agency's website, stratabeat.com or on my personal website, tomshapiro.com, or I'm in LinkedIn pretty much every workday. So uh, if they want to find me in LinkedIn and and reach out, I'd love to hear from them. And your book, you have a book still, and you said you're going to write a couple more. Yeah, so I'm going to write a couple more, but this is the latest book, Rethink Lead Generation. So yeah, if you're really into lead generation, (laughs) please check it out and let me know what you think. I would love to hear, hear your thoughts. So I do have several more books in the works. Uh, one is very close to completion right now. It'll be published later this year. Oh, so cool. very, very excited about that. So stay tuned because there will be a few <laughs> more coming. You heard it here first. Awesome. All right. Thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Great. Thanks, Linda. That wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it as fun to listen to as it was for me to record. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. And for additional info, visit my website at thecopyworks.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.